Please take out your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd welcome you to take the Red Pew Bible sitting before you and use it to follow along. I spent a season in my life in scouting. That is, I was a Cub Scout. As a Cub Scout, I worked to earn merit badges. I won Pine Derby contests and all kinds of things. I have no idea how many merit badges I earned, but I remember cutting wood and stacking it in piles. I remember tying all kinds of knots, and I remember how learning how to make a one-match fire, all to earn little patches that my mom would sew on a vest for me, all with the great hopes that I could earn enough patches to increase my rank. As a Cub Scout, you start off as a bobcat, then you become a tiger, then a wolf, then a bear. And if you work hard enough, you can become a weeblow, finally earning your arrow of light. For the record, I did not remember all that. I googled it. If you finish all of that, you get to graduate and become a Boy Scout, just to start it all over again. It's funny to look back to think about How much I enjoyed scouting, though I quickly will admit to you it's far different now than when it was when I was a kid, but it opens us up to this idea that you graduate one program and then you enter into the next one. It's an idea that's pretty common in our world. We see it in school. When you finish elementary school, you go to junior high. You finish junior high, you go to high school, and so on and so forth. And so this morning as we enter into Mark chapter 2, and as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll be confronted with the reality that following Jesus is not just the next step in life, but rather, it's an entirely different thing. So as we get into the text this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you meet us this morning? wherever we are, whether we're sitting in the sanctuary or sitting on the floor or on a couch or around a kitchen table, Father, would you meet us where we are? Father, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you help us to see you? There are so many distractions right now in our life, in the world, in my head. God, would you give us the ability to concentrate, the ability to focus, that you might be at work in us through your word. Father, would you make it so that your voice is the only one that's heard this morning? Would you open our eyes that we might see Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen. As we walk into Mark chapter 2 this morning, we're to be reminded that we're walking through a series of confrontations. Jesus is being confronted for who he is, for how he walks, for how he's different. We need to understand these series of confrontations because as you see Jesus respond, we need to pick up on the fact he's being confronted. So he's responding to those confrontations. We'll see that, lean into that as we move through the text this morning. Mark 2 verse 18 will be our starting point this morning. It's what it says. Mark 2 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. We're going to pause there. 
because it gives us some context for a passage. First, we should recognize that John the Baptist still had disciples. Now that's noteworthy because we should pick up that from John 1, at least two of his disciples, notably Andrew, we don't know who the other one was, start to follow Jesus. They leave John to follow Jesus, which leaves us with some evidence that there were some who looked at Jesus and said, now we're going to go with this guy. They stayed with John. Even coming to John the Baptist in John chapter 3, complaining that Jesus' ministry was more effective than John's. And John's reply in John 3.27 is worth noticing. This is what John says in reply to his disciples in John 3.27 and following. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John had disciples. And John confesses to his disciples that he's not the, that he is not the Christ. He even confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And even though he confesses that, it doesn't always come through to his disciples. It's the very real reminder that you can be around Christ followers and never actually believe in Jesus. So as we start to lean into this, we see these groups of John's disciples and the Pharisees. We see two different groups who are practicing religion and practicing religious practices and yet don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. And Mark tells us that they are fasting. They're going through a season of withholding food. That would be the fasting that they're talking about. Now this sermon isn't on fasting. We'll get there at at some point. But it's not the thing that happens here that's significant. Jesus' answer is what's significant. How he responds to what they're saying and how he responds to what they're not saying is significant. The rest of 2 verse 18 says this, And people came and said to him, said to Jesus, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? The people were not told who this group is, only that they come to Jesus and they want to know, why isn't he doing what everyone else is doing? Why aren't you staying with the norm? Why aren't you being religious? Why aren't you doing what the religious people do? Before we pause for a second to again recognize that which can escape us from time to time is the reality that Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. Jesus regularly attended the synagogue, regularly taught in the synagogue, and yet, and distinctively so, his teachings were not Jewish, and neither were they Judaism 2.0 if you'll let me put it that way. 
Listen to what Jesus says when he answers their question. Listen to how he describes himself and then describes his purpose in three short parables, starting in verse 19. And Jesus said to them, Can in the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in that day. Jesus responds with the parable of a wedding. While the groom is still present, he's telling you, he's giving you this picture, the festivities are still continuing. The idea of a Jewish wedding festival would be that it would last about a week. As long as the bride and the groom are still there, the party is still going on. And you need to know that the Jewish customs allowed that those who were celebrating weddings were exempt from religious obligations, including fasting. So this is not an uncommon thought to a Jewish person. We also need to see and pick up in his parable that Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. And if you note, that's a parable that shows up several times John the Baptist already has associated in John 3 with the bridegroom being the Messiah. So when Jesus calls himself the bridegroom, he puts this assertion, there's a celebration going on. The bridegroom is still here. It's not a Jewish teaching he's following. He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's telling them something more is going on. Even including the first foreshadowing that he would die in verse 20 when he tells them the bridegroom is taken away from them. Not that the bridegroom leaves. That's what you would expect it to say. But the bridegroom will be taken away. Jesus starts to paint a picture for them that there's something significant going on. That there's a messianic something going on. That there's in fact a new covenant going on. That's where we're going to land here in a second as he starts into a second parable starting in verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the tear and the worst tear and a worse tear is made. They should let me confess for a moment, I've never sewn a patch on anything. I did take home ec in high school. I did well, but we didn't cover this, which is to say I have no firsthand knowledge of this information. But Jesus seems to be saying that if you sew new unused cloth to something old and worn, when it is washed, the new cloth will shrink, causing even more damage to the original Something they would have understood, something they would have wanted to stay away from, something that he's trying to make clear to them to say there's something more going on. So if his first answer is to say we're celebrating something special, here he's making a different proclamation. A proclamation of who he is. Saying his teaching, his kingdom, and ultimately his covenant It's not a patch. It's not a way to fix something. 
It's not just a little piece of fabric that you put over a hole and say, this will make it all better. Then he gives them a third parable. Verse 22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Again, Jesus uses a parable that they would have all understood. And again, he uses a parable I have no firsthand knowledge of. The idea here is if you were to make wine and you were to put it in a wineskin, as it began to ferment, it would begin to stretch out the wineskin. That's the process of making wine in the ancient times. Therefore, if you put new wine into an old wineskin, it would already be stretched out. So if you put new wine in an old wineskin that's already stretched out, as it begins to ferment, it tears open the old wineskin, as Jesus says, ruining them both. Jesus is claiming to be an entirely new thing. Now, I've said that now twice now, and I've said it purposefully, because the picture you're supposed to get into in this confrontation with this group of people is that Jesus isn't something you graduate into. As if you were leading a perfectly good life, and then you added Jesus, and it got even better. Or you're leading a perfectly good life, and you got a hole, and Jesus is the patch you needed. This is what Jesus is seeking to help the crowd understand. That his disciples are different because he is different. His kingdom is different. His covenant is different. Therefore, beloved, when we come to Jesus and we come to an understanding of parables like this, we're to start to see that to walk in our normal lives and just go, I'm going to stay the same and just add Jesus is a mistake. We'll lean into that even more. We should consider first what the author of the book of Hebrews says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 8. He takes this on. Hebrews 8 verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, because it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now this is the author of the book of Hebrews writing to a Jewish people, talking about the new covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with covenantal language, this isn't something you're, you walk in every day. He's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant given by God didn't need to be upgraded. It needed to be completely replaced. And then he quotes Jeremiah 31, verse eight, starting in verse 8 of Hebrews 8. For he finds fault with them when he says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
for they did not continue in my covenant. And I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other, each one to his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Verse 13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Jeremiah is forecasting the new covenant. The author of the book of Hebrews is explaining the new covenant. What we find in Mark 2 is Jesus initiating the new covenant. Therefore, we're to see these parables in light of the new covenant. In light of the fact that the disciples of John and of the the Pharisees, as well as the crowd, were busy doing religious things, and they were missing out on what Jesus was teaching, who he was, what he was calling them to. It's why they were always challenging him. It's why they were always testing him. Because they were trying to always hold him to the law. So beloved, as we stand here in 2020, what do we do with this teaching of Jesus? We've approached it with a biblical theological lens, right? We've walked in Mark 2. I took you to Hebrews 8 because I wanted you to have a, a bigger covenantal context of it. What do we do with it? Because I can't imagine there's anyone here striving to live out the Mosaic Covenant, trying to figure out how Jesus interacts with that. That's not our world. But we do live in the world of the New Covenant. We do have to start to consider what does the New Covenant speak to our lives in 2020? What does it say? I think the idea is that we might be just as guilty of syncretism as they were. If you don't know the word, it's that idea of just trying to upgrade our lives or just trying to add Jesus to what I'm already about. Rather than recognizing the truth of Scripture proclaimed in 2 Corinthians 5, That in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Which is to say, beloved, if you look at your life and you just try to add Jesus as a patch to cover your broken spots or to hide your weaknesses, it is an insufficient view of Christ. It is an inadequate view of the Messiah. And it just plain won't work. Because that is not why Jesus came. He didn't come as a little cloth to clean up our dirty spots. He didn't come as a patch to be sold over the gaping holes in our lives. And if you should ask Jesus like a new wine to come and fill the old wineskin of your life, likewise, it will not work. Jesus is not something we add to our life like a merit badge or an energy drink that we drink when we need a boost. No, when Jesus 
tells us through the words of scriptures that in Christ, you are a new creation. He's proclaiming to you that having believed in Jesus Christ, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed, Ephesians 1.13, that you're made new, you're made brand new. You're not an upgraded anything. You're a new garment with no need of a patch. You're a new wineskin filled with new wine. So as we settle into these parables, looking at Jesus' confronting these people, we need to be mindful of a new covenant reality where Jesus is proclaiming, don't walk in your old ways and just try to follow me a little. But recognize that he's the Messiah. That he's come not just to fix you, but to make you brand new. When we're reminded that his mercies are new every morning. Beloved, that's a brand new reality. When we take communion, we participate in taking communion, we hold up a piece of bread and we drink a cup, we're to be reminded that his mercies are new, that we're brand new. And beloved, that has implications over our entire lives. Because we can so often walk as if we're wounded in need of a patch or we're broken in need of some repair. That's not to say life doesn't hurt us or wound us. It is to say Jesus has something better for us than a band-aid. We're reminded in 1 Peter 1 that it comes to us and becomes a living hope within us. We see in the same picture Jesus, the woman at the well, with the living water that springs up within us unto eternal life. Beloved, we're to be reminded that when we trust Jesus, we surrender to him, we are new. And that what Jesus is doing is new. And as we watch through the Gospels and we watch Jesus, we need to watch him with new eyes to appreciate new truth because sometimes you've walked with him for a while we forget to live with a new creation mindset that he's made all things new beloved as we live in this season as we fix our eyes on Jesus we need to be reminded that we're fixing our eyes on the one who makes all things new. So as you look at your life, and you look at your sin, and you look at your brokenness, which we all have, be reminded that you're taking it to the one who makes all things new. He doesn't fix you. He doesn't just clean you. He makes you new. That's the picture of Jesus we see in Mark 2. That's what he's wanting these disciples of John with the Pharisees to see, which is why when he meets with Nicodemus, he tells him he must be born again because what Nicodemus needed was new life.
We pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning and we see Jesus and we see him interacting, interacting with religious people, Father, people who missed it, we're reminded that following you is not about activities. It's not about just going to church or going to this or going to that. It's not about the externals. It's about placing our hope, our trust, our faith, and completely believing in you and allowing you and the truth of who you are to penetrate every single part of our life. Father, you've promised that you will make us new, that we are a new creation in Christ. Father, would you help us to ingest that truth, to live it out, to recognize you're not just a patch, and you're not just a new covering, but you've made us new. And you've brought us into a new kingdom, into a new covenant, where it isn't about us earning anything, but it is about the sufficiency of, of Jesus' death on the cross, which covers all of our sin and sets us free to walk in the newness of life. Jesus, would you be ever before us? And would you allow us to fix our eyes on you and the new life that you've given us in salvation? In your name we pray. Amen.